Well, if you would uh, grab your Bibles, your copy of God's Word, and turn with me to John chapter 4. John chapter 4. We're going to start in verse 19. And uh, as you're finding it, I just want to say thank you, uh, Pastor Noel, for this opportunity. Uh, As many uh, of you know, my name is Caleb Castro, but if you're watching online with us today, I am one of the ministers here at First Baptist, uh, Hispanic minister, and also uh, the assistant pastor. And it is a joy for me to be here with you today. It is a joy to see Brother Paul coming off the choir loft, still singing, brother, the gospel, the gospel proclaimed by you, even as you come down the choir loft. God bless you, brother. Uh, so let's, let's read from John, John chapter 4, verse 19. It says, Sir, the woman replied, I see that you are a prophet. Our ancestors, they worshiped on this mountain, but you Jews say that the place of worship, the place to worship is in Jerusalem. And Jesus told her, believe me, woman, an hour is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know because salvation comes from the Jews. But an hour is coming and it is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. Yes, the Father wants such people to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. Let us pray. God, as we come today, we come to worship. We come to proclaim your name, to hear your word, to sing your praises, and be changed by you. God, I pray that today as we, as we uh, explore your word, that you would admonish us, that you would change us, Lord, and that it would be uh, your word speaking through us and changing us by your spirit. I pray for those who are not here with us today, who are traveling, or with family, and those who worship with us online, God, that you would continue to be with them and change their lives where they are. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. What an amazing theological statement is made here. That to worship the God is spirit and those who worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. We've done that today. We've worshiped. We've sung. We've read the word. We've seen the gospel explained to us. To worship is to be human. We worship. We can't help it. We are oriented by our longings, by our desires. We, we realize that then worship is tied to our hearts. So the issue is not whether we will worship, because we will. Then the issue then becomes rather what, whom, and even how we will worship. For many of us, and it, this used to be the case for me, so I'm, I'm not pointing fingers at anybody. Uh, I'm speaking from where I've come from, from what I've learned. Uh, for many of us, when we think of the word worship, we quickly think of, the, of, of music, of the song portion of our services, what we just did. And I am not saying that that's not worshipful. I'm not saying that's not worship. I'm saying uh, that that isn't all. Worship is more than just singing. Uh, a friend of mine and, and theologian, Matt Boswell, who is a worship pastor, says, worship is too heavy a doctrine for singing to carry. This is true. Worship is a vast, a deep doctrine. 
It became evident to me one Sunday uh, when I was sitting next to my family. I have two sisters, the youngest one, she's deaf. She was born with some complications. Uh, the worship leader who was in the church that we were at at that time gets up there and says, let's stand and let's worship. And the first thing we did was we began to sing. And I looked at her and I thought, she can't join us. She can't sing. This cannot be it. There has to be more. In a way, this is when I began to ask more questions. In a way, this is when I began to look for answers in Scripture. And in a way, this is when I began to realize that worship really is a doctrine. And it is deeper and vast. And God has been trying to teach us that, has been trying to teach the people of Israel for such a long time. It is all here. We worship as individuals and we do so also corporately, like we did today. This is what we call corporate worship as we're here gathered as a people. And believe me, it is one of my favorite days of the week. It is. I remember when uh, the pandemic started, and I know we keep bringing it back up. We shouldn't. We're moved on. But I remember the first Sunday that the church was empty. Each pew just empty. And I, 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 I weeped. And my wife looked at me and she said, why are you weeping? And I said, because the church should not be empty. It should be filled with God's people proclaiming his name, encouraging one another, and getting ourselves ready to go out into the world and proclaim the gospel to everyone. But here in John 4, Jesus is going to teach this woman something that went far beyond our corporate worship that also, that also impacts our corporate worship. So I'm going to talk about two things today, and so you don't get confused. It is individual worship, how we worship individually, and how that affects our corporate worship. And, and to do that, I want to give you a working definition of what I uh, sort of found to be uh, worship. And that is your first blank, so if you've got your pen ready and you want to fill in your blanks, I know some of us love to get that filled. Here's your first blanks to fill. <clears throat> worship is our response to God's revelation of himself, of who he is. And I want to show you kind of where I get this from. I call it the rhythm of worship. Get it? No? Okay. All right. Let's go to Isaiah, like Isaiah 6, the book of Isaiah chapter 6. And we're going to see this together, I hope. And I hope you brought your Bibles because I'm going to make you go to different books. This is going to be good. So in Isaiah chapter 6. Uh, many of us know Isaiah because of what it, it is normally used to for us to see how God revealed himself to Isaiah as holy. We get a picture of the heavenly hosts. It's just this majestic picture of angels singing holy, holy, holy to God. And so let's, let's dive in. Isaiah chapter 6. It says, in the year that the, the, that the king Uzziah died, I saw the Lord seated on a high, high and lofty throne. And the hem of his robe filled the temple. The seraphim were standing above him. They each had six wings. With two they covered their faces. With two they covered their feet. With, with two they flew. They called to one another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of armies. His glory fills the whole earth. Verse 4. The foundations of the doorway shook at the sound of their voices. And the temple was filled with smoke. Now, what we're seeing here, it's God revealing himself to Isaiah. 
God, in his mercy, is allowing Isaiah to see him and to see where he is at. And Isaiah sees this majestic presence. So he has revealed himself to Isaiah. Then look at verse 5. Then I said, woe is me, for I am ruined, because I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among an unclean people. And because my eyes have seen the king, the Lord of armies, I say, saying, I am a sinner, and the people I am with, that I live with, they are also sinners. And I have seen the holy God. So how impactful was that that Isaiah recognizes that? This is what I call the acknowledgement of sin. Uh, We who are Christians, we have at some point acknowledged our sin when we heard the gospel, when uh, when God revealed himself through the gospel to us. And then look at uh, verse 6. Then one of the seraphim flew to me, and in his hand there was a glowing coal that he had taken from the altar with tongues. And he touched my mouth, and with it he said, Now this has touched your lips, your iniquity has been removed, and your sin is atoned for. So there's pardon, there's atonement for sin. And then in verse 8, we hear the, the, the Lord saying, Who should I send? Who will go for us? And Isaiah says, here I am, send me. Here's a response from Isaiah at the call of the Lord. So what does this mean for us? What does this mean that true worshipers must worship in spirit and in truth? What can the Bible teach us and how can we, as a people of God, be true worshipers? Well, uh, in the formula, if you want to look at it that way, I am a math guy. So in the formula, we see worship equals spirit and truth. We've defined, or we, we have found one way to define worship as our response to God's revelation of himself. So then what does it mean to worship in spirit? Well, I'm glad you asked. In verse 21 of John chapter 4, Jesus tells the Samaritan woman that the hour was coming when neither on the mountain designated by the Samaritans nor in Jerusalem would God's people worship him. Now, you cannot use this as an excuse to not come to church. That's not how it works. Uh, Hebrews reminds us to not forsake the gathering of God's people. And that can be found in Hebrews 10, 25, if you are writing this down. But what it is trying to tell us, what he is trying to tell us, is that the location is not what makes worship authentic or acceptable. Worship is not simply an external act that you accomplish by going to a place. This was new to them. For so long, the people of God uh, had worshipped at the temple. God's presence was at the temple and would dwell at the temple. And there came a time when that no longer was the case. Israel's sin became too great. God departed. But in John chapter 4, they still went and gave offering at the temple. They still went and worshipped in the old prescribed ways. Much, Much of the worship of the people of Israel had become just mere religion. Things they did, um, but had no true change. Lip service, but their hearts being far away from God. Sacrifice for sin, but no changed ways. They would just go back to the way they were doing things. And as scripture says, doing what was right in their own eyes. The book of Matthew, chapter 15, verse 8. Jesus says, this people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. They worship me in vain teaching his doctrines, human commands. So it is possible to bring honor to God with our lips, through our songs, through our prayers, through plays, through programs, creeds, confession, and even this sermon right now that I am preaching to you. 
It can bring honor to God. But if our, our hearts, if my heart is far away from him, then I'm not truly worship him, and neither are you. Now, I know that's a, that's a tough truth to swallow, but God can and will reject our worship or simply not listen. In a, the book of Amos, the, the prophet, in chapter 5, verse 21, he says, I hate, I despise your feast. I can't stand the stench of your solemn assemblies. Even if you offer me your burnt offerings and grain offerings, I will not accept them. I have no regard for your fellowship offerings of fattened cattle. Take away from me the noise of your songs. I will not listen to the music of your harps, but let justice flow like water and righteousness like an unfailing stream. I know this may be shocking to some of you, but when there is bad news, there's always good news, isn't there? This is the way of the Lord. Please go with me to the book of Ezekiel. I told you we were going to move around a lot. The book of Ezekiel, prophet Ezekiel in chapter 36, verse 26. Ezekiel 36, verse 26 and 27. The prophet Isaiah gives this prophecy. He says, from the word of the Lord, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you. I will remove your heart of stone, and I will give you a heart of flesh. I will place my spirit within you and cause you to follow my statutes and carefully observe my ordinances. So God, through Ezekiel, promises to give his people a new heart, a new spirit. And this is because our hearts are tied to our spirit. But remember, worship is tied to our hearts. Are you starting to see the connections here? Worship is tied to our hearts, and our hearts are tied to a spirit. Worship is tied then to our longings, to, to what we desire. On our own, we're going to follow and worship the things that we love the most. If you love cooking, all you're going to think about is going home and putting that steak in the grill. If you love video games, then all you're going to want to do is play video games and be attached to that TV all day. If we love someone and our thoughts, our longings, and our desires become just targeted towards that person. I remember when I started dating my wife, and many of you, you remember when you started dating your wife. I no longer wanted to hang out with the boys, if you know what I mean. I wanted to just talk to my wife. I wanted to hang out with her. I wanted to know what she was thinking, what she was, and I still do, so don't think I don't want to do that anymore. <laughs> I still want that. But, but you see how love pushes us to to desire things. I would listen to songs that reminded me of her when I, couldn't, when I wasn't around her. My whole being had been changed in love towards her. Theologian K.A. Smith says, whatever our heart clings to and it confides in, that is really your God. When we come to know Christ, our longings are turned towards God. When we, when we are born again, we no longer desire the old, we desire the new. God says in Ezekiel, he says and promises to give his people a new heart. He says he's going to turn their heart of stone into a heart of flesh. But does that mean we, our heart is frozen and cold and, you know, just kind of not doing anything? No, of course not. He's saying that God is going to turn spiritually dead people alive. God also said that he would place his spirit within us. Now notice in Ezekiel, there's a capital S for spirit when uh, he says, in one of them, it's, uh, it says, I will play my spirit, capital S, in verse 27, within you and cause you to follow my statutes 
In the verse before that, he said, I will put a new spirit within you, lowercase s. So he's replacing our spirit with his spirit. So capital S spirit, Holy Spirit. Lowercase spirit, your spirit. But also said he, he would do that. Did, did you notice in verse 24 of John chapter 4, the spirit, the word spirit is also spelled with a capital S? This means that to worship in spirit is to worship in accordance with the Holy Spirit. New heart, new spirit, we are born again. So this reminds us that true worshipers must and can only be newborn believers. We are born again. When we are born again, the Holy Spirit indwells us. We are given a new life. We turn 180 degrees from our old life, our old ways, and now we live for the will of God and by the will of God. We long and desire to dive into God's word daily. We learn more and more about him. We listen to songs about him. We sing songs about him. We read about him like we do today. Did you notice that's how we started? We started with the word of God. Opened, exposed, shown to us. We can see it. We hear it. We speak it. We sing it. This is why I love Sundays. To worship in spirit means to worship with a new heart. Now remember, this is for true worshipers. So you can also be a false worshiper. This is what kind of this would say. A newborn believer at some point heard the gospel, at some point repented of their sins, at some point placed their faith in Jesus Christ, and now they have access to the Father and are given the Holy Spirit who comes and dwells in us. So we are led by the Spirit in our lives. We should be led by the Spirit in our lives as newborn believers. And we also follow a process of regeneration. The book of Titus, chapter 3, verse 5 says, He saved us not by works of righteousness that we had done, but according to his mercy, to the washing of regeneration and renewal of the spirit. It is in my experience that regeneration takes time. And the time varies for everyone, that's for sure. But it is the Holy Spirit that brings renewal. So you see... The Holy Spirit is paramount to our lives as newborn believers. Ephesians 5.18 says, Don't get drunk with wine, which leads to reckless living. Rather, be filled with the Spirit. And you cannot fill something that is already full. If I have a glass of water, a glass, sorry, and I fill it with water, I give it away. If I have a glass and I fill it with water to the brim, to the top, and then I decide I want milk, what must I do? Empty the glass of water, fill it with milk. If I try to pour milk on top of that already filled, filled glass, either the milk's going to spill out, maybe some of the water. Who knows what's going to happen? I tried it at home. It's not pretty. I made a mess. So, <clears throat> but what's important is that there has to be an emptying. And I know this may be difficult to, to understand, uh, but we need to be a purified people. And I'm going to show you that in just a second. But what I want you to know is that true worshipers must be led by the Holy Spirit. And in order to be led well by him, we must be filled with the Spirit. And this can only happen by the emptying of our sins, by confessing them to Jesus Christ, to our Lord. So if you're filling in the blanks, number one here is true worshipers must confess their sin in order to be filled and effectively led by the Spirit. We need to be purified, as I said. 
The book of Romans, chapter 12, verse 1, Paul right there says, Therefore, brothers and sisters, in view of the mercies of God, I urge you to present yourselves, your bodies, as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true worship. Jesus was teaching the Samaritan woman among many things that, yes, the people of Israel no longer had to, to go up to the temple, no longer had to take the pilgrimage. But even bigger than that, that we ourselves are the temple. We ourselves are a temple. And even bigger than that, that we ourselves would be indwelled with the Holy Spirit of the Lord, would come and be with us and guide us. And we are a temple, church, that needs to be purified. This is our individual worship. Isn't that amazing? I think sometimes we don't realize just how amazing this is. The people of Israel could not fathom this. They could not even imagine it. Sin, unfortunately, gets in the way sometimes. We are human after all. We're prone to wonder. You see in chapter, uh, in, in John 4, verse 16, just a couple of verses back, Jesus tried to get her to confess her sins, the Samaritan woman. In verse 16 of John chapter 4, he says, go call your husband, he told her, and come back here. And she says, I don't have a husband, she answered. Jesus says, you have said correctly, I don't have a husband. Jesus said, for you have five husbands, and the man that you now have is not your husband. What you have said is true. And then, I, I thought this was kind of funny, and I'm going to get in trouble for saying this. But the woman says, she replies, I see that you're a prophet. Like, what a skill to change the subject. <laughs> what a skill. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 19 and 20 says, Don't you know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you were bought at a price. So glorify God with your body. Present your bodies as a living sacrifice every day, not just on Sunday, and one that is acceptable to God. You see, church, there is no limit to what God can do when we are his yielded people, his purified people, worshiping and showing his glory and faithfulness to others. Look at what the apostles did. Go to Acts, book of Acts, chapter 4, verse 31. The book of Acts, chapter 4, verse 31. I want you to see what happens when God's people are led by the Spirit. Acts, chapter 4, verse 31, says, When they had prayed, speaking of the apostles, the place where they were assembled was shaken. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak the word of God boldly. Now the entire group of those who believed were of one heart, of one mind, and no one claimed that any of his possessions was his own. But instead, they held everything in common. Through the Holy Spirit, we speak boldly of the Lord. But that boldness has to be regulated by the truth. So you see, and I hope you're seeing this. That worship in spirit is much more than the wonderful truth that we no longer uh, have to go to the temple to worship God. That is not the only place where it happens. It is that God gives us his spirit. We ourselves are a temple. It enables us to be alive again. And the Holy Spirit propels us to do the Father's will. 
to proclaim the good news of Jesus boldly to others, to shake things up in the world, to respond as God reveals himself to us in his word and his truth. So this leads us to the fact that not only is worship in spirit, but it must be also in truth. And though we are born-again believers, we are still human. We make mistakes, as I said, and we can't just think our way to right worship. We must, uh, this is point two, true worshipers must recalibrate their minds daily to have the right view of God. So if you're taking notes, that's point two. True worshipers have to recalibrate their minds daily to have the right view of God. Romans 12.2 says, don't be conformed to this age, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may discern what is the good, pleasing, and perfect will of God. We have to renew our minds. And this happens through the word of God. Pastor Noah has preached before, time and time again, the word of God being our baseline for truth and being the only truth. True worshipers must worship rightly. I remember when I was growing up, uh, a friend of mine said, this is how I worship God. And he pulled out his guitar and started playing. Now, I'm, it is not to say that you can't worship God that way, but that is not the only way. God prescribes the right way to worship, and that is in spirit and in truth. Our Bibles have in them God's breathed words. The, and the word used for breathe is the same as the word used for spirit. Are you seeing the connections? 2 Timothy 3.16 says, All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, uh, for training in righteousness, so that the man of God can be equipped for God's work. So all of scripture is breathed out by God. It is truth. Our Bibles are the truth of God. And also, if you have it on your phone digitally, that's okay. I'm not shaming anybody. So as we walk in spirit, the spirit points us to the truth. Look at John 14, 16. If you're following along with me, uh, book of John, chapter 14, verse 16. I will ask the Father, and he will give you another counselor, speaking of the Holy Spirit, to be with you forever. He is the spirit of truth the world is unable to receive him because it doesn't see him or know him. But you do know him because he remains with you and will be with you. So now the Holy Spirit is referenced as the spirit of truth. And then just a chapter later, John 15, 26. When the counselor comes, the one I will send to you from the Father, the spirit of truth. There it is again. Who proceeds from the Father, he will testify about me, says Jesus. The Spirit comes from the Father, testifies about Jesus, points to Jesus, and guess what? John 14, 6, Jesus is the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father but through him. Isn't that the gospel? The Spirit points us to the truth that is found in the word of God. So here's what it looks like practically. You might be asking, well, how do I do this practically to worship God in spirit and in truth? Well, it is everything, our thoughts, our longings. Everything we do must be led by the Spirit. It is waking up on Monday morning and seeking God through his word and praying, confessing our sins, and we ask the Spirit to lead us. Then we go about our day on Monday. We go to work. We go wherever we need to go. Every interaction we have, we are agents of the Lord walking in spirit and in truth. We do this Monday. We do this Tuesday. We do this Wednesday. We do this Thursday, Friday, and even Saturday. No one takes a day off in the business of the Lord. We speak boldly. We proclaim the good news of Jesus everywhere we go. 
with our friends, with our coworkers, even with the homeless guy who might be in that corner that you avoid every time. And we always point to the one who saved us. As John said, he is greater than I. Then Sunday, my favorite day of the week, we come together and we pray and we sing and we hear God's word together. We renew our loves, our longings. I know we don't like that word liturgy, but that's what we're doing. This is why uh, Pastor Tom and Grant, they, they form these worship services so that our longings are changed from what the world is telling us is the truth. We are changed to love God deeper and to seek his word even deeper in the spirit guides us. If we can do amazing things individually, imagine what we can do together as we are led by the Spirit. So it is, it is here, it is here on Sunday today that we come and we recharge our batteries. We are encouraged by uh, fellow brothers and sisters who have been in battle all week long. And then we repeat the process on Monday. I was telling you earlier, I was so encouraged by my brother Paul as he's coming down and not letting anything distract him. He's still singing God's praises. So we worship individually in spirit and in truth. And as a church, we worship corporately. But that's not all. It has an effect on us to do things, doesn't it? Look at the response from the woman at the well on verse 28. Just a little further, John 4, verse 28. It says, the woman left her water jar. Didn't she go to get water? She had this encounter with Jesus. Jesus is revealing himself to this woman, and she leaves the water. She's not even worried about that jar anymore. She says, it says, she went into town and told the people, come see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? And this was the same response from Isaiah on, on uh, verse 8 of chapter 6. He says, then I heard the voice of the Lord asking, who will I send? Who will go for us? And he said, here I am. Send me. He didn't even hesitate. True worshipers are in the service of the Lord, and they're not hesitant. They're not merely expectators. They don't have any buts about anything. They just want to serve the Lord and serve their church well. They don't wait for someone else to rise up and do something they could do. They say, here I am. Send me. When I was younger, I used to love this movie called Shrek. I'm sure, yep, I knew it. <laughs> Many of you know this movie that I'm talking about. It's about an ogre. And, and there's a love triangle involved and all of that. But Shrek needs to go and find the king, Lord Farquaad. And, uh, but he doesn't know where he is. And he's got this area filled with all types of creatures. And he says, does anyone know? Do you, you guys remember this? Does anyone know where, where Lord Farquaad is? And Donkey starts jumping. Ooh, pick me, pick me. I know, pick me, pick me. And Shrek does not want to pick him. <laughs> but he's the only one that does it. He's the only one that wants to do it. In a way, I kind of see Isaiah this way. Who will I send? Right here. Look nowhere else. I'm the one. True worshipers are ready and eager to serve the Lord. Are we that way? Am I that way? This semester, we saw our church serve in many ways I didn't even think could be possible. Oh, yes, thank you. True worshipers are ready and eager to serve God. Uh, keeping me honest over here. Um, we had a serve day this semester. It was amazing. We saw our church serve in ways I, like I said, did not even think could be possible. 
Um, when we say the word serve, it always seems like we have to do a job, right? We have to do something. But how amazing that even I saw a group of brothers and sisters writing letters to those who are homebound, to those who cannot be here, and, and hearing about how encouraging that was to some of our, some of our folks. And so you see, it's not that difficult. <laughs> we can write a letter. We can encourage somebody. We can be in the service of the Lord. And we can do so individually. But what happened the day after serve day? I, I, I wonder, you know, and I ask, what if we made a difference every day individually? Uh, I pray that we have more serve days. I pray that we are more active in our community because when we serve God, we walk in the spirit and we walk in truth, we will edify his kingdom and not ours. That is the last thing I want you to see here. True worship will edify and grow God's kingdom and not our own. I told you that to worship is to be human and we are gonna worship something. We're gonna adore something. We're gonna give our attention to something. So you see that the human heart is an idol factory. Give it, give it long enough and it's going to happen. The people of Israel had just been amazingly saved from Egypt, from Pharaoh. And it wasn't that long that Moses was up in Mount Sinai before they went to Aaron and said, make us a God that we can worship. We are Israel. But we are saved to worship. I said earlier that as individuals, we worship, but also in our corporate Worship. When we seek to be true worshipers, we will do everything for the glory and honor of God. And our own personal agendas, desires, longings will be cast aside. Instead, we're going to do the will of the Father. Church, I know these are heavy truths, but this is the word of God. And we live in a time of great spiritual need. How genuine are our concerns for lost men and women? How real are our prayers for our church and the church's testimony to the world? Are you worried for the spiritual well-being of your family, for your friends, your coworkers, your neighbors, and even that homeless man you keep avoiding? So here are a few questions to ask ourselves. You don't have to answer. This is just for you to think about. What are you doing with the spiritual light and awareness that God has given you? Are you being led by the Spirit in your worship, in everything you do, in your daily walk with Christ? Is it being regulated by the truth and not by what we think God might like? And what is your response to the gospel? I don't know if you've heard this before, but we need the gospel every day. Even us that are newborn believers, we need the gospel every day. I need the gospel every day. You know, every year... Uh, around this time, we start seeing uh, this funny trend called New Year, New Me. Have you heard of that? It's, we start making these New Year's resolutions on how we're going to change and be different on the New Year. And then 2020 happens, and now people are afraid of doing it. But a lot of people create these New Year's resolutions, and I do it. I've done it for so long. Uh, last year, it was that I was going to lose 40 pounds. I think I gained 40 pounds instead. Um, and I was going to change and do all these things all by the power of my own will, by the power of myself. I think I, I tried to start a trend called 
the restart of New Year's resolutions in July it didn't take off, so I didn't become famous. It's okay. Um, but I, I noticed something that in every list, and I looked up some online, in every list, there's a list of resolutions uh, that are always about improving oneself. Isn't that interesting? Back to that personal desire to worship ourselves, to worship anything else but God. But what if this year, instead of making resolutions that would change us physically or, or doing something different, like making a to-do list and all that, what if instead we simply had one resolution that from now on, not just this coming year, but from now on, we would be a people who would worship God in spirit and in truth. Can you imagine how our church would change? Can you imagine how Nacogdoches would change? If every single one of us walked daily by the spirit with the truth in hand and in every interaction we proclaim God, I think we would see our change. I think we would see a change in our town. I think we would see a change in East Texas. And I think we would see a change in the world. So how will you respond to God's revelation, to his call, to the gospel, for the glory of God? And that is for you to answer. Let's bow our heads and let's pray. <clears throat> God, we have come to worship. We have come to learn about you, we have come, Father, knowing that we need you. Father, we want to do your will. But we want that to be as your word prescribes, as you were trying to teach the Samaritan woman. We want to be a people who worship not with their lips, not with uh, hearts far away from you, a people who would worship in spirit, by your spirit, who are led by you, Father, and who would worship in truth, in the truth found in your word. Father, I thank you for all those who are here today and all those who could not be here. Be with them. Keep them safe as they come home or as they go home. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for who you are and who you have revealed yourself to be to us through your word, as a savior, as a father, as a counselor, anything we could imagine, you are for us, and we love you. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Let us stand.